This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kolarsev, and we are on the weekend, Saturday. Saturday episode, changing things up a little bit. Uh, some technical difficulties led to this Saturday, uh, this Saturday drop. Uh, I was obviously aiming for a Friday drop, but unfortunately we had an issue, a recording issue, and uh, I had to push it a day, and... Um, there's so much to talk about. I was tempted, tempted to, to just go, you know, no episodes this week, but I'm really, really trying to stick to make to, to at least one episode a week. And obviously, uh, as I've said in past episodes, we want to start having two to three a week and try to get into a regular uh, rhythm. So in a regular routine, so people know, hey, I can expect an SBI show on these particular specific days. And I know we've been a little bit hit or miss still as I work through the, the kind of the routine, but we will get there. We will get there. Just, uh, you know, stick with us, stick with me and I will get us there for sure. And, um, no, no guests this episode, but we do have, uh, several interview requests in the bag and, you know, sent out all across the world at this point. And, uh, hopefully we can start banking some interviews starting this weekend so that we can start having, uh, more regular guests. And, uh, I'm, the plan for now is not necessarily to have an, a guest every single episode, but to definitely have guests, uh, at least once a week. And we'll see what we can do as far as getting, to, you know, getting to that point where we're doing two to three episodes. You know, the dream scenario would be three episodes a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, but we're still working on it. I'm still working on that and we will get there. And plenty, so much to talk about. Uh, another reason I wanted to do this episode, and even if it was a Saturday drop, is there was so much to talk about from this past week. And obviously, if I waited till Monday, already there will be new things to talk about. So just some things that I, I wanted to absolutely touch on in this new episode. And we're going to kick things off talking about Christian Pulisic. Obviously, the UEFA Champions League saw several Americans play but we have to start with the one who didn't play, and that's Christian Pulisic, who it appears is dealing with once again with a, an injury issue. And you know how is he? How is he going to deal with this? How is he going to uh, manage this? How is his new manager Thomas Tuchel going to manage it? And early on, it looks like he very clearly uh, isn't going to rush things. He's not going to you know be, get crazy and 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 risk a situation where Pulisic gets injured and has a long term injury. Um, and I know, it, obviously, when Thomas Tuchel took over, a lot of U.S. fans were excited and happy because here he is, the reunion, Christian Pulisic, with the manager who gave him his pro, his the start to his pro career. But of course, it, it's been a it's been a successful start to Tuchel's time, but Pulisic hasn't been on the field, and that's where that's where there, there's a bit of a concern there. Obviously, uh, just in terms of is you know. Is there an issue with the relationship that, you know, people always kind of start to wonder and start to have questions. And, and then you start to get these kind of questionable reports emerging. Uh, you know, Chelsea's going to get rid of Pulisic. It all, you know, what, what I will say is, please, folks, try to consider the sources, uh, the the outlets that are reporting certain things. And, and you know, if, if there are reporters that you know that are pretty reliable with legitimate news, try to stick with those outlets and, and don't chase headlines, 
just because you see it, uh, what seems like a weird headline or, or, or kind of an outlandish headline, it, look at the outlet. If it's not a if it's not a reputable outlet, or if it's not an outlet that you know, or if the article doesn't even have an an author's name on it, little things like that will let you know if something's questionable or if something's absolutely legitimate. And unfortunately, nowadays there's tons of questionable content making the rounds, and 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 the sad part about it is you get outlets that should be considered legitimate that. You know, they just want clicks and they're going to if they see someone reporting something, they're not going to care if it's a questionable outlet. They're just going to run with it and say, hey, you know, this random site that we don't even know who is behind it is reporting something. So we're going to jump on it and and you get the kind of echo chamber that leads to questionable articles making the rounds. And that's where we're at with Pulisic. You start getting these reports claiming that Chelsea's already going to sell them. It's a done deal. They're going to move them. I mean, think about it, folks. He, for the amount of money that Chelsea paid for him, are they really going to cut ties now? Are I mean, just think about that logically, right? Are they really going to cut ties now? And what, what price are they going to get for him now? When you talk about a player who is good as he is, as good as he showed he can be last season, there's still the issues of questions about the injury situation with him, right? In terms of staying healthy. So what, are you going to sell him for 10 cents on the dollar? No. So I thought it was funny seeing Thomas Tuchel's reaction to the question when he was asked about Pulisic and about the that idea that, you know, maybe Chelsea's already going to move him and it's already a done deal. They're going to, you know, when he was asked that question, Tuchel's reaction, I mean, I, Tuchel, Tuchel's not a big spin guy. He's not a big, you know, poker face guy. You know, he doesn't have a great poker face. His reaction tells me he, that was like news to him. And it was the idea that they're already going to move Pulisic was, struck me as being a surprise to Tuchel, but credit to Tuchel, he he really addressed and kind of tried to break down the whole situation. Not only the the whole idea about him, you know, the team already having made a decision, but also how the team's handling his injury situation. Yeah, today clear yes, but it's not only my point of view. We have to see, but for me, clearly yes, um, because uh, Chelsea bought Christian for a reason, for his quality, for his potential, and it's our job to bring out the best in him. He proved in uh, in many weeks that he has the level to to be a Chelsea regular player to be a, has a big to have a big impact in this club. It's a challenge now to 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 um, hold this level to improve and to be to 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 to, to maintain to maintain the level and and to keep improving. Is uh, we are not con- we are not concerned. We are not worried. But but the physical department, medical department is is on that. Now we have little issues in the calf. He stopped training yesterday be- before it becomes an injury. So I would not say that it's an injury. It's 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 in the moment. It's a risk management to not be even injured. That relies to his history of being of being of having injuries. So we do not want to enter in the same cycle. It's sometimes like this, and and the, the the main thing for Christian is to stay positive, keep the head up, and and uh, like I said before, be ready because he can have a big impact when he starts, and he can have a big big impact when he comes from the bench with his intensity. And there are absolutely no decisions and no decisions made for summer. There is simply no time for that in the moment, and this is not the moment now. And there is uh, today no need to think about Christian. Now, when you listen to Tuchel, he sounds like someone who understands he needs to be careful with Pulisic and he's not going to, you know, force him into a situation that could lead him to be sidelined. And I think the most important thing to look at when it comes to Pulisic and his current 
situation, look at Chelsea's upcoming schedule. Now, as of this recording, they play on Saturday against Southampton, and that's a match that uh, it basically sounds like Pulisic is absolutely going to miss. But now look at the rest of the schedule in the coming weeks. They play Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, first leg. In Madrid. Then Chelsea hosts Manchester United. Then they visit Liverpool. And then they face Everton. And they have a game against Leeds. And then, boom, second leg against Atletico Madrid. Now, that, that, my friends, is a rough schedule. That is a very, very demanding schedule. The heart of the season is in that run of games. I mean, not only, not only with the Champions League. And a very tough opponent in Atletico Madrid. But in terms of the league and in terms of now the push for the top four, which Chelsea has jumped into now thanks to the run that they're on, the winning streak that they're on under Thomas Tuchel with four four league wins in a row. And all of a sudden they've catapulted themselves now into fourth place and, and they're they're able to take kind of full advantage of the fact that there's some other teams that are struggling right now. When you look at Liverpool, three losses in a row. Everton, uh, one point from the last three matches. Uh, Tottenham's fallen out of the picture now. Four losses in their last five. So all those teams really slumping and sliding down the standings. And then Chelsea with their, you know, they're undefeated in the league since Tuchel took over. So, you know, there's no, I mean, he he has to look at the big picture there. And, and, And in terms of Pulisic, he's an important player and he can absolutely help you, but only if he's healthy. And why are they going to try to, you know, why are they going to put him out on the field when he might have uh, an issue, uh, some kind of physical issue? And and I thought it was interesting that he said it was a risk management situation and not necessarily live injury that he's dealing with. And that tells me, like, look, they're looking ahead at some of those matches and you want a healthy Pulisic for some of those bigger matches. I mean, that run, think about that run of games right there. Atletico. Man United, Liverpool. I mean, that's as tough a three games as you're going to play if you're Chelsea. So I can respect uh, Tuchel's kind of cautiousness with how he's handling Pulisic and maybe people, you know, who are freaking out a little bit, uh, who kind of were getting swept up in in that kind of fear and concern. And that's natural, right? It's understandable, especially if you're a U.S. national team fan, you understand how important Pulisic is to to the U.S. national team and and what they what they want to do. The good news is there are no meaningful games in the near future for the U.S. national team. They, they don't play World Cup qualifying until the fall. Obviously, you have Nations League in, in, in June. You have the Gold Cup in July. I don't, I don't think Pulisic is going to take part in both of those. Uh, I think it'll be one or the other. But World Cup qualifying is what matters and getting off to a really good start to World Cup qualifying. That's what is most important. So, obviously... It's not a good thing that he continues to have injury issues and, and here and there. And, you know, he can't get on that consistent run of healthy form. I mean, he did last season. He did when they came back from the pandemic and, and where he had the best form, arguably, of his career. And then he gets hurt in the FA Cup final, obviously, on that, that run where he, where he hurt, injured his hamstring. But we've all seen what he can do when he's healthy and he's in form. He can play at an elite level. And I think Chelsea realizes that and they, they're going to, you know, cross their fingers and kind of save him and hope that, you know what, he can handle that run of that, that most important and most difficult run of opponents that they're about to have. So talk to me in, in two weeks. You know, once those games are in the books, 
and see what kind of role he's played in those games. And that that will definitely tell us kind of where he stands and hopefully physically where he is. But if you if the if you're a US fan, I, I wouldn't go get getting too crazy yet and start worrying about you know, is he even gonna be available for World Cup qualifying. That's in the it's in the fall, right? It's in the fall. Greg Berhalter needs to to obviously have contingencies. He needs to have other options to 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 turn to if he can't have Pulisic. That's not a new thing, right? I mean, he's had that before. He's there's been enough times now where Pulisic is, hasn't been available for 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 a call up. So this isn't new territory for Berhalter. So he, he there will be other players that can step in. Obviously, there's not another Christian Pulisic. He's the best attacking player in the in the pool for the U.S. But there are some players who are emerging and developing and returning. And, and, you know, when you look at a Tim Weah, we can get into those options in the next in the coming episodes, definitely in the next couple of weeks, looking at the depth chart for the U.S. men's national team and also looking at the depth chart for the Olympic qualifying team, the under 23 team, which are they're only a month away now. Uh, actually, might even be less than a month away now from CONCACAF Olympic qualifying. But that's a whole nother another topic. Pulisic. Let's see what happens. With that Atletico game, that Man United game, that that Liverpool game, that run of games is really going to tell us a lot about where he stands and whether Tuchel really kind of sees him being a big part of that push that they're going to make and that they're already making. They're in fourth place right now. They've jumped up. They're still four points behind Leicester City and Man United. But tell you what, if they if they win, they put some results together. If they can beat Man United, if they can beat Liverpool and, and and really get some and continue to ride this momentum that they're riding right now since Tuchel took over, then, you know, it's a whole different conversation now where, where obviously they were, what, eighth, ninth place when, when Frank Lampard was let go. So things are looking up for Chelsea. But if you're a U.S. fan, I wouldn't go panicking just yet on Pulisic. So we'll see. G- give it another couple weeks. And we'll see where he stands. Now, while Pulisic did not play in Champions League this week because Chelsea plays next week, there were three Americans who did get on the field in Champions League. And it was a little, it was, needless to say, it was a disappointing week from a results standpoint. And in on some, you know, in some of the cases, it was a, it was a disappointing one from a performance standpoint. And we have to start with Serginho Dest, who had himself a rough one uh, playing against Paris Saint-Germain. Kylian Mbappe, one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous attacking player in the world right now. I mean, you can obviously argue Robert Lewandowski, best player in the world um, at the moment. But Mbappe is, you know, as dangerous as he is. I mean, he gave Dest all he could handle. But I do want to say it is interesting how obviously the second half of that game was a nightmare for Dest. But I, I actually thought in the first half he held his own against Mbappe. I thought he did a, a pretty good job. But obviously Barcelona just really lost the game. Their midfield was just dominated and it, it, for me Ronald Koeman's decision to start Dest and Gerard Piquet together against PSG when Dest had only had one start and it wasn't the past month and with Gerard Piquet coming back after being out since November do you really play both those guys against an attack like PSG? I mean, that was really for me. Uh, I really, I really think it put set those guys up to fail. And with Serginho Dest, he had a situation where he held his own in the first half. He did a pretty decent job, and then the second half, he just they just kept coming at him. They just kept sending the getting the ball to Mbappe, and Mbappe just kept going, keeps going at him. And I don't care who you are, I don't know many right backs in the world who, if you let Kylian Mbappe have a repeat, 
repeated like run after run after run, dribble after dribble after dribble, keep feeding them. How many right backs in the entire world are going to hold up to that and not give up chances and not give up a goal? I mean, you know, I'm copping please right now for Serginho Des, but listen, he did not pl- he did not have a good game overall, and his second half was tragic before he got pulled. But you know, I wouldn't go I wouldn't go too crazy with with that that performance and, and start talking about oh you know maybe he's just not that good he's not he's not a good defender uh people it's it's funny how how quickly uh people will turn on a, on a player over a, over a game that look i don't know how many players as i said in that same situation would have held up much better than him um and I, if anything you know kind of and again this is probably looking on the bright side of things ronald Koeman handed serginio desk that assignment he believed in him he 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 thought he could handle it. It wasn't an easy assignment, and there were and he had another option. He could have played Mingueza at right back, but he played Dest. And I think we've seen repeatedly now that Ronald Koeman rates Dest. He he respects Dest and he trusts Dest. Now, obviously, with a performance like this, especially in the second half, you could say, "Oh, well, maybe now he's not going to give him a chance. Maybe now Dest doesn't get on the field again for a while." I don't know about that. I think he'll be okay. And something to remember about Serginho Dest is that he is a really confident guy. He's he's young, but he's confident. He's he's very he's very self assured. He's not he's not going to go cry in his pillow and then just not not be able to play again this season. He'll be okay. I, I'd be willing to bet pretty good money that the next time he's on the field, he's going to have himself a game. And uh, you know you're going to have these kind of games when you're matched up against the best players in the world. It happens. It happens. So I think Dest will be okay. I think he'll, he'll move on. Unfortunately, Barcelona, I don't see going very far. Uh, they've really dug themselves a hole and it's looking like an early exit for Barcelona. And, you know, it's obviously a weird season for Barcelona with Lionel Messi in the last year of his deal. The team clearly, they need to rebuild, but they don't have money. They don't know if Messi's going to stick around. Obviously, there's all these young players who are getting their opportunities to play. You know, Ricky Puig or Ricky Push, have you say his name? Um, Pedri and uh, you know Trincao. Like they're you know they're trying to give players opportunities that new that ne- bring up that next generation of talent. Ansu Fati's you know working his way back. A lot of talent there, um, but this season is going to end up being a disappointing one. They're not going to win the league. They're not going to win the Champions League. And if Messi leaves, all of a sudden you have a team that's just really in a, a big time state of limbo. But as far as Des goes, um, you know, I still think he's a player. I think he's a I think he's a good good prospect as a right back. And and I think it, it, I, I'm curious to see what happens when there's a change there, manager. And there, I, there's gonna be a change. Ronald Koeman is not gonna be the manager next season. I just I would bet anything you want to bet that he will not be the manager next season. So. That how is that going to work? Who's who? You know how is Desk going to be able to continue to get playing time once you know Xavi or someone else take, takes over? Um, I think he'll be okay though. I think just with his ability and his confidence, he he'll be okay. He's going to be okay. Another player who, who had a bit of a disappointing day: Weston McKinney, uh, Juventus. McKinney and Juventus suffered a two-one loss to Porto. Really put themselves in a bit of a hole. Uh, thankfully for Juventus, they were able to get an away goal. Uh, Federico Chiesa scored a nice goal to to give Juventus not control, but put them in a situation where look, they win ones are at home, they're good, they're in, they they moved on to the quarterfinals. And you know, Juventus is known 
for being pretty stingy at home. So we'll see if they can hold up that that end of the bargain. Weston McKinney, not not his best performance, but not a terrible performance. It wasn't really him to blame for for the the issues that Juventus had. Juventus just didn't look good overall as a team. They just looked they looked a bit lost, to be honest. Um, I think I, I mentioned on Twitter that they look like a team. They look like a collection of players that met right before kickoff and said, "Okay, we're playing together," because <laughs> they just there was the chemistry was missing absolutely. So we'll see if they'll turn around. I, I feel pretty good about about them turning it around. No knock against Porto, but this Juventus team, I think, and Ronaldo. We know how Ronaldo likes to step up the challenges. Um, I think second leg, you're going to see you're going to see a different Juventus. And last but not least, in terms of the players, the Americans who did play in Champions League, Tyler Adams did get the start for RB Leipzig against Liverpool. Unfortunately for Adams, uh, his teammates were in a very charitable mood and gave away two really bad turnovers that led to both Liverpool goals and a 2-0 loss. And now Leipzig is staring at a really, really, really big mountain to climb. And it's not looking good for them. Uh, I wouldn't put a penny on Leipzig turning that around. I think Liverpool, they've given Liverpool confidence. They've, they've, they've really, uh, you know, on top of the cushion, they, they, they had an opportunity because this Liverpool team had really been struggling. And now the confidence they get out of this match and then with the center back Kabak, the, the, the young the young Turkish center back, having the kind of game that can help maybe propel him now to, to the kind of season they were hoping for when they got him on loan from Schalke. Um, Liverpool, that, that, that could be the wake-up call that, get, that helps them make a run in Champions League. And unfortunately for Adams and Leipzig, it means more than likely they're going to be out in the round of 16. Now, the one American player whose team did win in Champions League was Giorena and Borussia Dortmund beat Sevilla uh, three to two in a in a really exciting match in Erling Holland once again doing his thing looking amazing, uh, but unfortunately Giorena did not play and obviously it's been a bit of a rough year for him that since twenty twenty one came along, uh, it's pretty clear that he was burnt out a bit from obviously the the heavy workload that he that he had. Uh, last season, or I'm sorry, in 2020, in the new season, he obviously was such a big part of of the of the lineup and playing in the league, playing Champions League, playing more minutes than he's ever played. Um, so I, th- I think he, he he's burnt out a bit, and I think he said as much in a in a recent interview that you know he he definitely felt tired, and we're not seeing him at his best, even with the recent performances that he's had. Giorena has not looked sharp. And from that standpoint, you could understand maybe if, if, if Dortmund's manager, interim manager decides, okay, we need to give him a rest. We need to re, we need to re-energize him. And I think that's what happened against Sevilla. And obviously they didn't need him. They beat Sevilla pretty, uh, pretty comfortably there. Um, but I think we will see Reyna back on the field. Uh, and you want to see how he responds. You want to see how, if he can get that that kind of uh, spark back that we saw at the beginning of the year. And uh, some rest will do, I think some rest will definitely do him some good um, because he needs it and, or he needed it. And now here they go. They, you know, they obviously, you know, they beat Sevilla and now this weekend they play Schalke in the Riviera Derby. And, you know, I think that's going to be a great opportunity for him. Hopefully he gets to start in that Derby and we have a Gio Reyna versus Matthew Hoppy battle, um, which will be great this weekend. So uh, we'll see if that actually, uh, if that happens, actually, if you're listening to this right now, the, the game probably, Probably already happened. Um, so hopefully they both had good performances. Now the Champions League was not the only competition that featured Americans. The Europa League had 
several Americans take part. And once again, perf- uh, results were not the best, although there were some very good individual performances. And we have to start with Tim Weah. Tim Weah had himself a game, um, played well in a start against Ajax. Unfortunately for him, Leo gave up a 1-0 lead that he helped give them by scoring a goal, uh, and they lost 2-1 in their first leg. And, and that's an unfortunate one, especially given how, how well Leo has been playing in league play. And it's going to be a tough one for them turning that around in the second leg, but still, the good news is Wea played well. He got the start. He took advantage of that start. And he's been taking advantage of every every opportunity that he gets. He comes off the bench. He's producing. He's you know delivering assists. He's making an impact on a team that's currently leading the French League. Uh, unfortunately, Europa League, it's not looking so great right now for them. But still, it's great to see him in in a European competition show that he can be an impact player. And another player in Europa League who I thought did pretty well, despite his team having a bit of a disappointing result, was Chris Richards. And Hoffenheim is in the Europa League, and uh, they were matched up against Molde, the, the Norwegian side, and they were beating them 3-1 to one, very comfortably. It looked like they were going to blow them out, but nope, Molde came back 3-3 draw, and I actually thought Richards was one of the bright spots on that team. As much as the defense obviously didn't have a great day at the office, Richards, for me, was their best defender. And he strikes me as a player who is starting to get comfortable at his new club. He's starting to kind of feel at home where I'm sure the first couple of weeks you're there. You're the new guy. You're just there on a loan, temporary loan. You kind of feel things out, right? You, you're you not going to just come in there and just be like, all right, I'm the man now. Everyone get out of my way. You know, I think he's a he's, he's a type of sensible kid that he's going to he went in there. He kind of looked, you know. Did what he had to do, and now he's in the starting lineup, and he's and he's playing well. He's playing well, so I think early on, it's really looking like that loan is paying paying the dues, paying the dividends that they would have hoped that Byron would have hoped when they loaned Richards out. Because you know, if you're going to loan him out, make sure he's getting playing time. And obviously, we know with the manager, the Hoffenheim manager, having managed Richards before, this shouldn't be a surprise, right? You wouldn't imagine that he would bring uh, Richards to to Hoffenheim if he wasn't going to play him. Now it's up to Richards to continue to play and continue to to kind of get into that comfort zone and really show what he can do. Because, I mean, I've been saying for how long now he is the future of the center back position for the U.S. national team. But if he can if he can finish out this year getting regular starts for Hoffenheim and playing at a good level, all of a sudden the future becomes the present and he can start uh, being someone that. Greg Berhalter has to look at in terms of the Nations League, in terms of potentially the Gold Cup or World Cup qualifying and or World Cup qualifying. So, you know, I, I wasn't sure when that opportunity would come for him. But if he finishes out this the rest of this Bundesliga season in the starting lineup, playing at a good level, he has to be in the conversation. You have to put him in there because he has that talent. Everybody knows that. Everyone that knows Chris Richards knows he has all the talent and all the skills to develop into a U.S. men's national team starter. If he gets these minutes for Hoffenheim and continues to play well in those minutes, all of a sudden he goes from, hey, he's a prospect for down the road to you put him on the field ASAP, put him next to John Brooks. He's the guy. And the last result to talk about in Europa League featuring Americans was our Red Bull Salzburg. Unfortunately, they suffered a defeat against Villarreal. No surprise there. Villarreal, good team, La Liga team. 
uh, unfortunately for Salzburg, they you know they suffer that defeat, and Brendan Aronson did get the start and did show some some flashes, but overall not not his best performance. And obviously, if Jesse if you're Jesse Marsh, you're going to be disappointed with that that performance. But it's still good to see Aronson continue to to play a prominent role, and uh, you know he's obviously hit the ground running there, and it's good to see. You know, obviously he scored a goal recently, scored a goal last week, very nice goal by the way. If you didn't see the Brendan Aronson goal in the league, it was a it was a re, it was probably the best goal by any American uh, this past week, or maybe for February. I don't know, but still uh, disappointing for Salzburg. But Aronson continues to get minutes, and that's uh, you love seeing that. Now, one a couple of notes here. As far as Americans abroad go, we do have to talk about Gio Reyna and Yunus Musa making Lekeep's top 50 under 20 players. And uh, it's a nice list to be on. Uh, Reyna, I believe, is number five on the list and Musa number 19. It just kind of shows, where, you know, how highly rated those two youngsters are. And I know Musa is not cap tied to the United States yet. He's not officially an American player yet. He's a U.S. national team player. He can still play for uh, England. He can still play for, I think, think Ghana so you know we'll see but I'm I I personally feel confident that when it's all said and done he will play for the U.S. but time will tell as far as Reina goes I think it's not a surprise it's not a secret how highly regarded he is and how and how his stock has gone up exponentially with the way his his new season has gone for for Dortmund now, moving on to the U.S. women's national team. They have returned to action with the She Believes Cup, and they started their tournament on Thursday with a 1-0 victory against Canada. And it was a bit of a surprising result in that Canada obviously did not have a full strength or anything close to a full strength team. They were missing several of their top players, including uh, Christine Sinclair and Kadisha Buchanan. And they still gave the Americans all they could handle. Uh, as much as the U.S. dominated possession and created more chances, they you know they showed their superiority, but it was a it was a it was a lackluster performance by their high standard and clearly there was a lot of rust there in terms of some players who hadn't haven't been playing uh obviously the nwsl is out of season and not all players on the u.s team are playing in their current club seasons um you only have a few who are who are playing uh in europe and 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 who came in for this match and uh, i would definitely argue that carly lloyd and megan rapino you could point to them as two two players who you know haven't really been playing in months uh, and didn't play much in 2020 as as a whole. So it's not, it shouldn't be a shock that maybe they aren't at the level or as sharp as you have come to expect them to always be. But again, they don't have to be good at this point in the year. It's about getting them back, you know, getting them going again, getting, getting them finding their, their top form. And, uh, but overall, still a bit of a, a bit of a flat performance. It was nice to see the subs come off the bench and really provide a spark. And obviously, Rose Lavelle. It's been of an it's been an interesting year for her. Obviously, at Manchester City, she hasn't always found her way onto the field, but she showed uh, coming off the bench for the U.S. Uh, and scoring that winner against Canada that she still is an absolute difference maker, uh, and she does bring something special to that lineup. So it's uh, it, it, it provides Vlatko Andonovsky with with plenty to think about and chew on as he's figuring out his depth chart, his potential starters. And, you know, I, I think they're looking, when you look at the lineup and you look at the, the subs that were made, I think they circled that Brazil match on Sunday as really the match that's going to determine this tournament. Uh, nothing against Canada, but with, with the key players that Canada's missing, you have to look at Brazil 
and the players that they have with Marta Dabinia, um, just really good attacking talent and closer to a first choice uh, team that they were able to bring to Orlando for the She Believes Cup. So I think you'll see a better, obviously a better opponent in Brazil, but I think you're going to see a better performance from the United States. I think they're going to step up. We know the U.S. women always find a way to step up to the challenge, no matter the opponent. And I think we're going to see a better performance from them on Sunday. And let's face it, the you know, it's basically winner takes all in that one. If you win that game, you win the tournament, basically, uh, barring any, any crazy upsets on the last day. But I'm looking forward to seeing that U.S. team, and I want to see Katarina Macario again. She got to start, and again, she had. There were some frustrating moments there for her, and obviously, she didn't like dominate like you would. You would, you know, you might have thought she could with her talent. She's still going to be there. She's still going to be. You know, come the Olympics, I think she's definitely going to be a breakout player on that team. I think she's going to make the team and be a factor on that team. But she's going to have her. We're still going to have her growing pains as she adapts to her teammates and and learns the system and develops and get gets comfortable playing in the U.S. senior team setup. But she is absolutely the future. She is the future of that U.S. attack, and it's great to it's great to see her now. Kind of, she's going to have her growing pains. She's going to learn to adapt. She's going to get to learn her teammates, and obviously, her and Rose Lavelle. You you like to think that they're going to have a bright future together, as, you know, as part of the same attack. But we'll see against Brazil what they can do, and we'll see what lineup uh, Andonovsky puts out uh, in what is basically the tournament decider on Sunday. Now, last but not least, we will talk MLS and the MLS season still two months away. But obviously, there's there's definitely uh, plenty of uh, things to discuss. Uh, And I'll kick things off, starting with Kamar Lawrence. And I reported last week at the beginning of this most recent week that multiple teams are making moves for Lawrence. And we could very well see Lawrence back in MLS. And my understanding and, and my reporting is that, that Lawrence is open to returning to MLS. And it's going to take some money. It's going to take a transfer fee to get him away from Anderlecht. Anderlecht, obviously, I believe they paid around $1.25 million to the Red Bulls for him just a year ago. So at this point, they're looking for at least that. And, you know, if they can get a little more, they'll obviously get a little more, especially when you consider that there is a sell-on fee that will go to the Red Bulls in the next transfer. So if you're if you're under like you're trying to get your money back, then you have to build in the 10%. You're going to still have to flip back to the Red Bulls when you do, if and when you do sell him. So I'm curious to see where he winds up. Uh, and it was interesting to to note in my reporting that FC Cincinnati was an early early entrant in the uh, Kamar Lawrence sweepstakes, uh, early stages, and they ended up going in another direction. They went and got Ronald Matarita. Now, for me, if you're asking me who would I rather have, all things being equal, I don't think it's a question. I think Kamar Lawrence is a is a just significantly better defender. Maybe he doesn't give you the same in the attack as uh, Matarita, but just in terms of you know, if you want someone to help your back line, Kamal Lawrence is, you know, you could argue he's been the best defensive left back of the past, I don't know, five, ten years in MLS in terms of left backs. And arguably he was the best defensive fullback in MLS, left back or right back uh, during his time with the Red Bulls. So if you're FC Cincinnati and you're as bad defensively as they were and have been, Go get Kamar Lawrence. You don't go get uh, Ronald Matarita. You go get Kamar Lawrence because Matarita is, is, is 
promising as he is, he's not known as being the best defender. He's not known as being the guy who's going to lock it, lock down wingers on that side of the field as a left, as a left back. So, you know, I, I can understand. I mean, look, Monterey is a good player. You go get him if you can get him. He's, you know, he's played in MLS. He does. He's not going to have that, tr- you know, trouble adapting to a new league. He's already played here, so I get it. But at the same time, if you're FC Cincinnati and you're, you know, this team that's spending money now, and you know, you you, you want to run with the big dogs and, and spend the big bucks. I mean, how do you, then make the deal? Go get Kamar Lawrence. But guess what? Uh, they didn't. They didn't. They went with Matarita, and now the door's open. And there's there's already a couple of teams that are really trying to make pushes for him. Um, and we'll see. We'll see where he winds up. I, if you're asking me, you know, who do where do I see him winding up? I really don't know. All I know is he's not going back to the Red Bulls. And in case anyone isn't in, un, isn't quite clear on that, or who maybe doesn't understand what happened and thinks, oh, well, coming back to the Red Bulls makes all the sense in the world. Well, it doesn't because basically Kamar Lawrence burnt every bridge in town on his way out the door with the Red Bulls. He's the one who forced this whole thing. He wanted a new contract. The Red Bulls didn't want to give him a new contract. So he basically forced his way out of the team and and the Red Bulls weren't interested in selling him or trading him within MLS. So they were able to find an interested team in Anderlecht, and obviously Anderlecht, uh, the, the Belgian powerhouse, they they saw an opportunity to get a, a really good fullback, and they got him. And actually, it's funny, they have, they have the two former Red Bulls fullbacks in that Anderlecht defense, in, in Michael Murillo and Kamar Lawrence, and then the third Red Bull alumnus in central defense in Mad Miazga. So I think that's pretty funny. But whoever does get Kamar Lawrence, I think is going to get a considerable upgrade to their defense, uh, and if he goes for, if he goes to a top team, if he goes to a playoff team, I mean that's a game changer. And let's not forget now he qualifies, and I, I, re- I have been reporting this, I have reported this, that he qualifies as a free agent under the under the uh, the CBA guidelines uh, with the service time that he already put in when he was in MLS before. That means Kamar Lawrence can decide where he goes he can just you know he can uh sign with whoever he wants to sign with um obviously they still need to sort out the transfer fee but he can go where he wants so we'll see we'll see who takes him who picks him up and there's definitely a good list a good number of teams who could use the left back (laughs) not just the red bulls mind you but uh we'll see we'll see where he winds up he's going to be a big addition no matter where he goes now, going from one disgruntled former New York Red Bulls player heading over, uh, coming back from overseas to one who just went overseas, we obviously have to talk about Kaku, Alexander Romero Gamara, the Paraguayan midfielder who has left the Red Bulls and is playing in Saudi Arabia in one of the crazier turn of events that has happened in MLS in recent years. For those of you who are unaware of the story, Kaku. Uh, has left the Red Bulls and has signed with the team in Saudi Arabia. And you might ask yourself, well, wait a minute, how did he just leave? Was he, did they sell him? What What's going on? Basically, uh, Kaku's representatives and Kaku are claiming that the Red Bulls did not do what they needed to do to exercise the option year on his contract. And because they didn't, it opened the door to allow him to leave, which is what he's done. Now he's moved to Saudi Arabia and he's already made his debut for his new team in Saudi Arabia on Thursday, registered an assist and a loss. And now the Red Bulls are sitting here like, wait a minute, we have a contract. He's our player. We are going to have to resolve this in court, basically. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where 
I don't know what the final ruling is going to be on this whole situation, but it's a serious mess. And some heads are going to roll. I think some heads have to roll because something doesn't add up. And there's three, basically three scenarios, uh, three possibilities for what could, what have happened, what could have happened or what is happening. First of the first of the three is that the Red Bulls dropped the ball, right? They didn't inform Kaku directly that they were going to pick up his option. And according to the reporting by ESPN, uh, the Red Bulls are, are claiming or stating that they they notified the league and they notified the league in February of last year. Like they knew they knew they were exercising this contract for 2021. So they did it immediately as soon as they could. February of 2020. So well ahead of the deadline, according to the Red Bulls and according to the ESPN reporting on that that part of the thing. Now. The question is, did the Red Bulls fulfill the requirements of the deal by notifying Kaku directly? Um, Because according to the reporting, uh, the Red Bulls notified the league. They notified the league office. And as we know, MLS is still a single entity league. And all the teams in the league deal with the player personnel department in MLS in terms of finalizing deals and completing transfers and all that. Um, And contract situations it's kind of a it's kind of a hub for all of the league's maneuvers and moves and transactions and contracts it all has to go through the league headquarters now if the red bulls were under the impression that all they had to do was inform the league office then it was up to the league to notify kaku and as much as i saw some some something written in the reporting that you know According to the contract, it had to be the Red Bulls and not MLS. Legally speaking, the Red Bulls are MLS. It's single entity. The teams are all considered one uh, one group or one body, right? So if the Red Bulls did notify Kaku directly, then it had to it had to fall on the MLS officials, the MLS player personnel department. They had to get it done. They had to notify Kaku. Now, one of those two things had to happen in order for this this extension the, or the, the, the option year to be picked up because, you know, you're not just going to let that lapse on a player who you are hoping you can get millions for, right? So either one of those two things happened, either the Red Bulls dropped the ball or the league dropped the ball, or the third possibility is that Kagu's people are lying. Or misrepresenting the truth, or bending the truth, or conveniently, uh, you know, laying things out in their favor to clear the way for this move, right? And I'm not taking sides here because I don't know what happened. I, I'm not there, but I can just go on what we've seen in the past. And Kaku's agent, if he has the same agent that he had when he first arrived in MLS. I mean, his agent, when he first arrived in MLS, didn't cover himself in glory with some of the stuff that he pulled in terms of, you know, really trying to push things in the media. Uh, You know, Club America wanted Kaku and, you know, they wanted him out of there and they couldn't get it done. And Kaku's agent definitely went out in the public and, and, you know, went off about the whole thing. So uh, Kaku's agent, uh, Kaku's representation is not doesn't have the best reputation to begin with. Right. But obviously it's a big charge if, you know. If the claim is that he, they were told and their representatives were notified and it's on their representatives that they know that and they're trying to pull this, whatever it is, this two points I want to make. Number one, 
if it comes out, if it basically comes down to a ruling that the Red Bulls get nothing, someone's got to go. Maybe more than one person has to go. But people are going to roll. Heads are going to roll. You don't let a three to six million dollar player walk out of your door when you had a contract. And if that happens, that's you've burned through three to five. Three, I want to say three to five because I don't know if six million. I don't know if the market was. I don't know if the market's there for Kaku at six million. Right? He hasn't had. He hasn't. You know. He hasn't crushed it in MLS really. But still, even if it's half that, even if it's three million dollars, and you let three million dollars walk out your door, someone's got to pay for that. Someone not paid literally pay, but someone's got to pay with their job. Someone's out there. Someone's going to get the boot. Is it Dennis Hamlet, who's in the final year of his contract, and who you know, maybe maybe the the Red Bulls are ready to go in another direction, possibly, or is it a league official who let something slip through the cracks? Whatever it is, it's going to be pretty embarrassing if the Red Bulls lose him for nothing. Absolutely embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. Now, here's the silver lining in this whole thing for the Red Bulls. In my opinion, they it was time to get rid of Kaku. It was time to move on from Kaku. Because at the end of the day, all you had in Kaku was a player who never quite seemed happy in New York. Who never really showed the consens- the consistent high level that you would have hoped when you spent 6 million dollars on him when you made when you made the big move to acquire him you brought him in to be your Pozuelo to be your Lodero to be your Carlos Gill that is the type of player that they w- were hoping they were getting and at the end of the day Kaku would show flashes Kaku had his moments. Kaku even had some games that were memorable, but consistency was not part of the equation for Kaku. He he was not reliable. He was not consistent. That's why I think there were times you saw him even get benched, and you you know it, it, in games, and you would think he would play. Um, and my take has always been, or has been for some time now, just in just in my observations, when we had a league and, and games, and you could actually be in a locker room and talk, you know, pre-pandemic. In my recollections and in my interactions with Kaku in that setting, Kaku just struck me as a guy who was never that happy to be here, who maybe immediate, almost immediately after he came. He had remorse. He had buyer's remorse. He, he he regretted the decision. That's just kind of my my dime store analysis on the whole thing. Obviously, once he arrived at MLS and all these other transfer offers started to you know kind of pop out of nowhere, and you had the Club America link, and you know there was a sense that you know what you just felt like me personally. I just felt like Haku never settled in. And for that reason, he was always a bit of a disappointment. As much as he had his moments, as much as he had some games that will never that you know you can not forget because he was so dominant. But if anything, those games only serve to kind of remind you that why can't this guy do this on a consistent basis? Why can't he be our Pizuelo? Why can't he be our Carlos Gill? Or you know, any Lodero. Obviously, Lodero is kind of the high watermark, but you know, Valeri. Um, you know, that's what they were hoping he would be. And he had the talent to do it. We saw it. We saw him have games where he looked amazing. But that didn't happen nearly enough, nearly often enough to justify um, everything, what he costs. And now it, it's even more expensive if he has to go for free. So I'm curious to see what happens because 
my point in the whole thing is that I think the Red Bulls might actually be better off once they just move on from Kaku. Um, but having said that, the Red Bulls need roster reinforcements. The Red Bulls need two, three, four high-level additions. Um, because when it comes down to it, they just haven't done enough to uh, strengthen the roster. Whereas in the last couple of years, they've definitely taken big chunks out of the squad and not replaced them. Um, whether whether it's Tyler Adams, Bradley Wright Phillips, um, now Luis Robles. I mean, you know, so many players that were key. You know, obviously Kamar Lawrence. You know, Kamar, they have not replaced Kamar Lawrence. Um, Michael Murillo they replaced with uh, you know Kyle Duncan, who's looked really good for them. But I don't know. You know, will Red Bull Global invest in this team? Now they did go and get Andres Reyes, nice pickup. I like him. He's talented. He's someone who could develop into a player that they could sell. Totally get that. But then they trade away Tim Parker. So in the grand scheme of things, is that an upgrade in terms of 2021 for getting results? Is that an upgrade or is that at best kind of treading water? But then where's the rest? Where's the other reinforcements? I know they've been some pickups and this and that, but nothing that's going to really move the needle. Cameron Harper is an interesting one. If they get him, obviously the U.S. under 20, he's a talented player. He should be the type of player you come, you, you bring over here and, and have him be part of that youth movement along with Caden uh, Clark. But is that is that going to get? Is that going to bring an MLS Cup to the Red Bulls? Are the Red Bulls on a path? to finally win an MLS Cup? That's the big question. And honestly, early on, early returns, early looking at how things are going right now, I don't see anything that would lead anybody to suggest this is the year. This is the year the Red Bulls are going to do it. And, and you know, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because that one point in, back in 2018, uh, you know, when they won the Supporter Shield, that team, that team was something special. That team, you know, maybe if they have another crack at it, maybe that team could have and should have beat Atlanta United when they didn't. Um, and that's as close as they got. And I, I don't know if I don't know when they're going to get that close again because this team that right that they have right now is a is a serious reclamation project. And when you look at the players that they added last year, how many of those players really? are players that you're looking at for this year to, to really kind of be the difference. I mean, Caden Clark, as a young talent, absolutely a good, talented player. But there there's still so many missing pieces in that group. And and for me, that's why the Red Bulls are so far away. And I just, this is not going to be the year, folks. This is not going to be the year. And if anything, it's clo- they're closer to being a team that falls off the cliff than they are a team that figures it out and finally wins it. So... I have a feeling we're going to see some lean years ahead, or at least a lean 2021. This could, it will not shock me at all if 2021 is a year where things go wrong with with this team. And we've seen it. We, I mean, I've been around long enough that I've seen, you know, 1999 and and 2009, the two nightmare seasons. Uh, for the Red Bulls. Now, I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to have that nightmarish a season. But it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me at all. Now, the last few MLS topics I wanted to touch on. Christian Pavone. 
Uh, is he coming back to the LA Galaxy? Uh, according to reports, his father is saying that you know he wants to go back to the Galaxy. They've made their offer. Now it's up to Boca Juniors. Uh, Pavone does not want to return to Boca Juniors. He, it, it, it sounds by all accounts that he wants to play for the Galaxy. He wants to come back to the Galaxy. He feels wanted. The Galaxy are putting millions on the table to try to bring him back. Um, and, that, and that all needs to get sorted out. And the, ga- the Galaxy absolutely need Pavone. They need Christian Pavone. Because if they want to have any chance to really be a contender, I mean, to be a title contender, you got to you got to keep the pieces that you have on top of uh, going and getting some reinforcements, which they which they need to do. Greg Vanny obviously is a big. I think for me, he's a huge upgrade as a coach, but. You still need the weapons. You still need the players. You still need the talent to really compete for a title. And if they uh, if they go and lose one of the biggest play- pieces that they have, they can't get them back. That's only going to bring leave them further and further away from another MLS Cup. But um, it's good to see that g- the Galaxy are trying to make it happen. They're actually trying to complete the deal. And obviously we know these deals can be complicated when you're talking about South American players that, you know, could have, you know, multiple entities uh, owning parts of their contracts and, you know, that whole thing. If they can get, if they can bring back Pavon, if they can go get a Sebastian Javinko, which we've heard a rumor, we've heard the rumor, how true it is, it remains to be seen, but they do need to add more than just Pavon. They do need to add some pieces there. I know they have, uh, you know, Jonathan Dos Santos. They have Chicharito. Hopefully, has the bounce back second season. But even if his, even if Pavon comes back, I, I still think they need to go bring, get one or two more pieces. Absolutely, they need a center back. I think everyone can can agree that they need defensive help. And getting Jorge Villafania, I think, was a big step for them. I think that's a helpful move for sure. But they need a center back. They absolutely need a center back. And um, and we'll see. We'll see what the Galaxy can do. It's an interesting offseason. Having Greg Vanny is such a big upgrade for them. So we'll see. We'll see what they can do with that team. And uh, speaking of coaches uh, that have made moves, well, now we're talking about coaches who are linked to potential moves, MLS coaches. Thierry Henry has been linked to Bournemouth, and Bournemouth is looking for a manager. They have reportedly asked for permission to speak to Thierry Henry. Uh, it, it would obviously be disappointing if you're Montreal, CF Montreal, if you lose Henry, because obviously he's only in year two of the project. He got one year under his belt. He did pretty decently, but you'd like to see him have his second year to really kind of put his stamp on things, but... You know what? If he can join a team that could bounce back into the Premier League, that's a pretty tempting offer. And I could see if he I could see why he would take it if he takes it. And as of, as it stands right now, it doesn't seem like he's actually spoken to them yet uh or that a move is imminent, but you had to think once Thierry Henry actually took the Montreal job that it was only a matter of time that he wouldn't be he wasn't going to stick around for 5 to 10 years. He was going to be a one and done or a two and done. So We'll see if Montreal can hold on to him. Uh, another team that was able to hold on to their coach, the San Jose Earthquakes. And Matias Almeida, I can't remember. It's been a week now. I can't remember if we touched on it last episode, but I wanted to touch on it here. Is uh, Almeida is staying with San Jose. And you know he did a pretty in-depth and enlightening interview with a South American radio station. Uh, right around the time that the, the kind of reporting came out, linking him to jobs, linking him to national team positions. Um, 
And it was a pretty candid interview. And I got to say, Matias Almeida is an interesting character. And uh, he's fascinating to me. I'd love to just sit around with a bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of something and and just kind of talk about life because the guy is just fascinating. I mean, if you, if you, if anyone has a chance to listen to that interview that he did recently in Spanish, if you know your Spanish, it'll be worth a listen. He's a fascinating guy. And it strikes me that he is a guy who is enjoying his time in MLS. He is enjoying the peace and quiet. And obviously a pandemic is, you know, and things are different. This is a whole not even a, this is a different like realm that we're living in right now with the, with everything going on with the pandemic. But in terms of just um, pre-pandemic and in terms of just liking the the world that you're living in now, Almeida absolutely enjoy, is enjoying being in MLS. So even with that said, it does sound like he wants to coach a team at the next World Cup, at the 2022 World Cup. And while he may not be ready to leave yet, and while he may take San Jose through the rest of the 2021 season, I mean, beyond that, I don't, I wouldn't hold my breath on Almeida sticking around. Beyond that, because he's not going to be a, he's not going to be a career earthquakes coach. He's not putting 10 years in as, as an earthquakes coach. So I think he gives him one more year to really, really make a push and see how far he can put, take this team, how far he can take this San Jose Earthquakes, a team that showed some real quality at times last season under Almeida. And I'm sure he wants to put a complete season together of that, of that level that we saw at times just to show that he could do it and just to show that he was worth the investment and worth the money that San Jose has been paying to have him there. Because, you know, in terms of his salary to results, hadn't been great. Hasn't been a great tournament, but you can see his fingerprints on that team and you can see that he's a good coach. Um, I just so happen to think that he has a pretty terrible general manager as his partner who hasn't necessarily done a great job of stocking the shelves of talent. So, which is unfortunate because Almeida is a is a is an elite manager by MLS standards, and I don't know if he's had the chance to really show that. Now that's the last note, and I believe it's time to wrap things up uh, on episode three hundred one of the SBI show. Thank you for listening. Uh, you know, there's so much, there were so many things to get to. I'm sure I forgot some of them, but I, I definitely wanted to get an episode up um, just to kind of touch on some of some of the topics. And uh, it, you know, we'll be back next week. Uh, just to talk about everything on the sun, everything that happens this weekend. We have the Riviera Derby, potentially Hoppy versus Reina. Uh, you know, you have obviously the Merseyside Derby. You have Milan, Inter Milan. We're going to have to start talking some, some European soccer as well. Fit that in definitely once we get into the more episodes per week. Uh, and next week, definitely look out for some guests. I know I said it last week. Uh, we're going to make it happen, folks. We're going to make it happen. It was definitely a crazy week around the country um, in the U.S. And definitely our our, our prayers and our our heart goes out to the folks in texas with everything that they've gone through and continue to go through it hasn't been an easy time for the folks in texas but uh credit to the teams in texas and the players for the mls teams in texas that are definitely trying to do their part to help the people there and um you know we 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 hope that they you know they can get through this and obviously they've already been through enough and everything with the pandemic and everything that's going on but hopefully things get better for the folks down in texas and um the last thing i'll leave you with is if you are on clubhouse the social media app uh feel free to follow me uh soccer by ivis surprise surprise um is that that's me i'm on clubhouse still trying to figure out how to use clubhouse uh, in terms of how i'm going to kind of 
put my voice on there. Right now, I've been doing a lot of listening, a lot of feeling things out, trying to see what's the best way to approach it, uh, and how to how to use Clubhouse and how to you know kind of work it as another effective social media tool for SBI. I'm personally having fun on it in terms of just conversations not related to soccer because believe it or not, I talk about things other than soccer. But I will figure it out. I will figure it out the best way to use clubhouse platform and if you again if you are on clubhouse follow me if you want to get on clubhouse this is important now if you want to get on clubhouse it's an invitation only uh platform for now but i have invitations so i want to give out two invitations to two listeners so if you're listening to this episode right now i want you to go to the comment section of the SBI soccer post of episode 301 and put your Twitter handle on there and put clubhouse SBI and I will DM you and we'll work it out and I'll get two listeners the first two listeners to comment in the comment section I'll hook you up with uh, I'll hook you up with invites and uh, you know we can you can help help us build that conversation on clubhouse which i think is a it's a it's a it's a pretty cool app and i'm looking forward to using it more so keep an eye out for that for sure um but i think that's it for now thank you for listening and definitely tune in and subscribe we're on spotify now we're on the 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 apple podcast app and obviously we're on soundcloud so make sure you subscribe and make sure you keep listening as we try to get the sbi show back to its glory days so that's all for now I'm Ivis Galarza. This is the SBI Show.